Tea Soul Pop, Season 8, Episode 7. Hello and welcome to Tea Soul Pop, the mini podcast for busy teachers. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about debunking myths in dyslexia and language learning is Anna Kowalska. Anna will be talking about three common myths in dyslexia, from dyslexic-friendly fonts to colour overlays to particular methods that we could use. For each one, she's going to walk through why these are a myth and what we should be doing instead to support our dyslexic students. Now, before we go into today's interview, let me tell you about some of the events that are happening at TESOL Pop so you don't miss out. This week on the 28th of February, I'm hosting a free workshop with Ellie Publishing Group on podcasting. So if you would like to use podcast media with your teenage or adult students, then you can sign up for this free workshop by going to the TESOL Pop website, as well as seeing all the other events we have scheduled for this upcoming conference season. What's more, if you are interested in recording your own podcast, then spaces for my podcast Pathfinder are still available, but enrolment is closing soon. Again, to find out more about this program, go to the website or click on the show notes. Now let's jump to my conversation with Anna, where I started by asking her what inspired her to start researching dyslexia and language learning. The first time was, um, my goodness, 20 years ago when I walked into a classroom and that was a very specific school because it was called an experimental school in Warsaw. So we had students in high school, high achieving students who were supposed to go to university and do great things. And we had that class. It was called um, a vocational experimental class. The kids were supposed to be waiters and cooks. And one teacher told me, well, you know, we're not going to do much with them. And I said, you know what? That's interesting. Challenge accepted. So it turned out that the kids were dyslexic or and or ADHD. We worked for a year, they all passed FCE, they were brilliant, they're, like, they're really having careers. Some went to university, they went to another school to get the matriculation exam, went to university, the kids were really amazing. And that taught me that you can do it, you just have to know how to do it. And then my son was born and actually I moved to Canada and I was on a quest <laughs> for him to like have decent education. Then I started working with other parents and it dawned on me that, well, those kids not only fall through the cracks, but they are expected not to learn. So that's how it started. So that's why I'm so glad that we're recording this episode today to kind of create more space for these conversations to be having and for teachers to feel empowered to do research and to lean into what may seem like um a, a field that's outside of their expertise is something we can learn. There's things we can learn. And I think let's start with obviously dispelling the common myths. So we have three myths today. Are you ready for the first one to yes. knock it out of the park? <laughs> okay. So myth number one, there are particular fonts that are more accessible. For example, fonts that are easier for students with dyslexia to read. You know, that's very interesting you should say that because I have had a discussion about fonts only yesterday and the discussion was very heated. So there is a lot of research, like Professor Shanahan from University of Chicago, the Dr. Gab from Gab Lab, University of Harvard, just to name a few, they have been talking that dyslexic fonts do not work, right? Right, because dyslexia is not a vision issue. And I think like... I know that teachers have best interests at heart and definitely they have so much like, you know, to cater to, and so many students with diverse needs, so I understand it's really difficult to sift through every piece of research. But just to reiterate, dyslexic fonts do not work. If someone finds them useful, that's fantastic. I say kudos to you, beautiful, but we call it individual experience. So it is a lived experience, and we can say 
that's important, that's valid, but it's on, only valid for the person who has that experience. We cannot quantify it because the research says clearly dyslexic fonts do not work. So you have to teach the student to read. You have to teach them the patterns. You have to teach them how the language work, works. You have to teach them how to blend phonemes, how, uh, sorry, phonemes into a syllable, how to create a word. You, what is an onset? What is a rhyme? And you can come up with all the fonts in the world, simplify them, create your own font, I don't know. But it will not teach your students to read. And I think the worst thing is that if students fail, and they will, they will blame themselves. So the self-esteem is already low, and it will get lower just because they think, like, what's wrong with me? I mean, if that font is not helping so with that, there has to be something fundamentally wrong with me. They will not say, okay, this doesn't work. They say, I do not work. It's that I'm to blame. Like with any of these things we're talking about today, it can have a huge impact on a student's self-esteem and teachers too, if they're trying yeah. all these things, thinking that they work because there's so much publicity about them. It can also uh, be very disheartening for, for the teacher too, feeling like they're not good enough or that there's something that they're missing. Uh, but this is really uh, a big one to address first. And just to clarify, because I think there is some mm, overlap between visibility and what's accessible on a vis yeah. vis visible level like I wear glasses I, I need to read yeah. a certain size font um some fonts are easier for me to read just because just because um that's due to my eyesight not due to dyslexia right that's what exactly. we're saying here yeah I'm not dyslexic when I read uh, on my e-reader I often like use larger fonts because especially when I'm tired and I like spend hours writing by the computer or writing, I get tired. So yeah. Me too, yeah. <laughs> I will space out text when I'm writing just because I'm tired and I, like, I get fatigue or I use uh, bigger fonts. But it's not so that I'm a better reader. It's just because of my eyesight that especially in this time of year, when it's getting darker sooner, it's getting worse. Absolutely. I think this is the key thing, isn't it? Eyesight, access, design, clarity that is design, and then dyslexia, separate things, not, not so yes. much as uh, interlocking. That's fantastic. That's our first one. So there's no such thing as a dyslexic-friendly font. We've got two more to go that are perhaps going to really <laughs> surprise our listeners. So let's move on to the second one. Myth two, color overlays that we can place over our computer screens or printed text even can make it easier for us to read text or can make it easier for dyslexic students to read text. Is that true? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I probably should have said yes. No. Dyslexia, fundamentally, dyslexia is neurobiological in origin. It's in your brain. It's, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with your eyes. I say the eyes are like the doors that open. But if you look at the eyeball, like all the nerves are connected with our brain. We read with our brain. We do not read. I know it sounds probably weird for some people, but we do not read with our eyes. So it doesn't work. And again, we have to teach the students to read. And for teachers, do not waste the precious time because teachers are given so fundamentally, they will do everything to help the students. And then they are frustrated because it's not working. And it's understandable. The student is frustrated because it's not working. And like the whole idea of a classroom, like is shattered because the teacher is upset. Like, but it's not working. Like I've tried the fonts, I've tried the overlays. The student is like, what's wrong with me? The teacher says, what's wrong with me? 
you know, they, they both at the same point when they start doubting themselves because it's not working. So with this color overlays, because I read things about color contrasts, and yeah. I think this is similar to the fonts that we just yes. discussed as well, yes. about uh, design principles, about font sizes, spacing, and yes. the contrast between the color of the font and the background. Um, is that also the same or is that something different? It's the vision, it's the vision issue. So it is um, like it's not connected to dyslexia. There was even a research of flickering uh flickering colors um it has been published i think last year that says that no it's not working again it's not a dyslexia remedy i think it's it's something that it's like a thing from the past where we didn't have a lot of research the neuroscience wasn't as prominent we couldn't test we couldn't see we couldn't assess how things are going so we were trying you know like try and error and that's normal however we are at a different, let's say, step in our history, in our development. So no, they are not working. Mm, again, it, this is a, a, a vision issue. And exactly. just, obviously, it's nice to have these things like color contrast yeah. and spacing because it makes things more easy to read, particularly if you're on a small device like a phone. Yeah. That's just good design, isn't it? But not yeah. dyslexic friendly. People exactly. think they're being dyslexic, dyslexic friendly, but it's not the same. Yeah, it's not dyslexic friendly. It's a good design. So again, if someone likes it, absolutely. But I, I wouldn't use it as a remedy or as a tool to help your dyslexic student. So finally, we've got one more myth, and that's related to teaching methods. So myth number three, there's a specific teaching method that's better than the rest. I'm not going to name any, but let's just hypothetically uh Think of like specific methods that are out there that are supposedly really good at helping dyslexic students. So um, there are methods that I wouldn't be using. So first of all, I would just say, when you think of dyslexia, think how the language works. Language is like a structure. So let's say um, there are languages that are syllable-based. There are languages that are more for phonemic, like, like English. So focus on the language. Like I say, structural approach to language. You think of SLPs. Literally, this is a, there is an overlap. So approach a language like a structure. I'd say, for example, reading, there is a, a concept, we call it a Scarborough role, that there are many skills that come into skilled reading. So you have decoding and coding, that's like the base. This, and then we have um, morphology, syntax, grammar, and on the top we have uh, critical thinking, which is cherry on top. So this is working. If anyone tells you that, you can create mental images in your head that uh, reading uh, is a, a whole reading process. It's not. We literally, literally um, reading, we, fa- uh, we map, sorry, phoneme and graphene. That's how the reading works. So avoid uh, any method that tells you that we read words as a whole. Avoid any method that teaches you that you can create mental images or that tells you that dyslexia is a vision issue. I would say just this, and you'll be golden. Focus on the language, on a structured approach to language and how the brain processes language. And then you will know where to start. Do you have any um, tips for teachers who are listening in terms of like how they can move forward today, having uh, learned what they've learned and wanting to help their students? They've probably identified a few, di- a few students who may be dyslexic in their classes and they're wondering, well, what should I do? How can I best help them? What I would say... For starters, ask them to write. If you have students who are writing, ask them to give give you a raw piece of text, four or five sentences. Do not ask them to correct it or cross it out. Write it, give it to me, forget about it. 
Don't get upset. It's not about marking. Then you will see what mistakes are they making. Are they making phonological mistakes? For example, some students uh, have them make the mistake when they write uh, uh, voiced as voiceless sounds and vice versa, or they struggle with tion, T-I-O-N, right? They, uh, for example, write it as C-I-O-N. So we we'll see whether it's phonological. So there are certain sounds that they cannot hear, that they cannot process phonologically. So there's phonological awareness and phonemic awareness you have to work on. Or there's some morphological mistakes because they don't understand how it works. And then I would just, um, I, I, if I were in the classroom, I would just start with addressing those. So if you have to go back to the basics, ask your student to like map phonemes and graphemes, have one minute drills with segmenting, deletion, final, initial, syllable, um, blending drills, have a minute or two. And then say, okay, you know, this method didn't work. It's okay, you know, it's fine. We just move on. We do this without any further explanation. I just go back to the basics. I know that especially parents don't like it because they want to like, rush through and have the results. And I say, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And when you go back to the basics, it's the same with grammar. Like even for English teachers, before you start talking about present simple, present continuous, past perfect continuous, conditional clauses, and passive voice, and your student just looks at you like this and says, okay, I have no idea what you are talking about. Go back to subject, verb, object. Explain how the sent, like the, the simplest structure, how it works, and then expand it and only then introduce the first tense. Like, because even the simplest tense that's present simple, it takes so much to process. I would say in terms of grammar, multi-sensory grammar is fantastic for dyslexic students. I use it a lot and I'm a huge fan, really. So I would say start with this and don't get upset. You're not going to like um, do it within a day and it's okay. It's like driving a car, riding a bike. It takes time. So give yourself space and grace as well. Be good to yourself. You're doing well. You want to spark a change. It's fantastic. One step at a time. And it's going to be just better and better. I think that's wonderful advice to end on, starting with a needs analysis, trying things, reflecting, and don't worry too much if it doesn't work. There's other options and you can work with your student to find what works for them. Exactly. It's been lovely talking to you, Anna. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. To find out more about Anna's work, then you can go to her website, polkalanguages.carta.com, or you can connect with her on LinkedIn. And both of those links are in the show notes so you can access those easily. Finally, you can support the work we do at Teasel Pop by leaving a rating review wherever you listen to the podcast, by sharing today's episode with your community, or by even buying us a coffee at ko forward slash Teasel Pop. Mm-hmm.